Hey everybody, and welcome to The Collective Podcast. My name's Josiah, and I'm one of our leaders here. Our prayer is that you find this next conversation meaningful and helpful in your relationship with God, no matter where you're at right now. If you're a young adult in the greater Akron area, and you're looking to find community, or just trying to learn more about God and Christianity, I'd want to personally invite you out to Collective. We meet at Grace Church Bath Campus every Thursday night at 7 o'clock. And if you want more info, you can find it on our Instagram, GCM underscore Collective. Now let's jump into our conversation. Yo, what's up, everybody? It's good to see you all. Uh, like I said before, if, if uh, we haven't met before, my name is Josiah, and I uh, I get the privilege of leading Collective. I, it's so glad to see you all. I, I, it's kind of fun because uh, you know throughout the summer everybody's off doing their different things. You know, like who who went on some kind of a trip or vacation or I don't know road trip with is something did something right. So it, it, it's very rare that we're all together in, in the same place. And so these past few weeks, it's like man, some of you I haven't seen in a long time. It's really good and brand new faces. So I, I, I'm just excited. Uh, I'm glad you're here. If you're here for the first time, first couple of times, man, I, I just cannot say uh, how thrilled we are that you're here. I, I hope you're having a good time. And, and please don't leave without saying hi. Uh, I, I would love to meet you. And so would uh, a million other people. Uh, we are in the final week of, of a series we've been doing, a, con- a series of conversations we've been having uh, called, What is the Point of the Church? And I, I need you all to know this. So the reason we've been doing this series, if you've been tracking us for the past little bit, is because we're leading up to... Uh, uh, next week, next Thursday, August 19th, okay? Uh, we are going, next week is is not the collective you want to miss. Next week is very important. Next week, we're calling it Vision Night. And so here, here's what, everybody, everybody, I need you to take out your phones. If you got, I, well, you all have phones. Everybody take out your phones. And if, if you uh, consider yourself, you, you like coming to collective, you consider yourself a part of collective or integrated somehow, listen, you mark on your phone, you can't miss next week. Because what we're going to do next week is we're just going to kind of uh, talk about and and, and and unveil a little bit what we believe God has for us in, in in the fall season and how we'll be able to continue doing what we always want to do, which is share the hope and the message and the love of Jesus to as many people as possible. But we have to do it together. You know, we, we can't, there's so many, we have to, God has called us to do this together and in unity. And so that's what next week is all going to be about. But this series is kind of like getting us on the same page. We've been asking some questions of, of who is the church? What is the mission of the church. And now in the final week, I, I really uh, want to shift gears and, and ask maybe a different question or a different type of question, which is, what is my role in this whole thing? Like, like what, what does God want from me? So let's say, uh, I know this isn't everybody in here. Um, I know this isn't all of us, but let's say I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm like down for this whole thing and I'm down to be a part of this thing. What is Jesus asking from me? What does Jesus want from my life? And so what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be looking at a parable that Jesus told. The parable is just like, a made-up story that Jesus tells to illustrate a very important point. And so if you have a Bible or if you have a phone, here's what I need you to do. Look up Matthew chapter 25. If you, Even if you take out your phone and you just get Google and you type in Matthew chapter 25, it'll just pop up. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to be reading this parable that illustrates and shows us a very important point. But I have to give you a, a, a warning, a little bit of warning before we get in. So Jesus, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with the teachings of Jesus and the things Jesus said. Um, Jesus is a master storyteller. He is a masterful storyteller. Every detail, every character, every plot point is, is just is beautiful and illustrative. But Jesus likes to make his points uh, pretty strongly sometimes. And he likes to make his points by catching you off guard. And this is one of these stories where every time growing up, I've read this story a lot. Every time I've ever read this story, it caught me off guard. It's just like, we finished the story. I'm like, something about that just did not sit right. So I'm going to warn you, this is that type of story. And we have to understand what is Jesus trying to illustrate? What is he trying to say? So I'm going to read this whole parable and we can break it down. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. So you can scroll, little numbers, verse 14. Here's what Jesus says. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. 
To one of his servants, he gave five bags of gold. That's a lot of gold. To another, he gave two bags of gold and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then the master went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and he put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. I don't know why I think of an ostrich. You know, like ostriches, when they're in danger, they like bury their heads in the sand. He's like, he got nervous, dug a hole, put his head in it. But it was a bag of gold. Very different. Very different. Way more Outer Banks type vibe than an ostrich. Anyways, uh, verse 19. After a long time. So this wasn't a brief journey. This wasn't a weekend. This was after a long time. The master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. But then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I know that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. But his master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bank so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take that gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, we started on a happy story, then took a really weird turn. And we got to talk about that a little bit. So, so let's, let's talk about this story a little bit. So the story begins with this master who has three servants and he gives uh, these servants different amounts of gold. Maybe some of your Bibles or translations will say the word uh, talent. If I say talent on accident, that's what I grew up learning, but it, it equates to a, a, a bunch of money. It's not like, you know, you're, you're special that you can, you're double jointed or something. It's like an amount of money, right? He's giving different amounts of money before he leaves on a trip. Um, just for context, just to understand, a bag of gold or a talent, what it's saying, uh, scholars aren't really sure how much that equated to, but they know it's anywhere between one year's wages to 20 years wages, right? So this is not, this is not chump change. This is a lot of money. Like this is, you know, they're carrying around a bag of gold, like exactly what you would expect. It's a great, great gift that requires great, great trust. So how many bags of gold does he give to the first servant? How many? Five, right? How many does he give to the second servant? Two, great. And how many does he give to the third? One bag of gold. And then the master leaves for his trip for a long time and he comes back. When he comes back, he lines his three servants up or they come into his office. I don't really know how this is going. But uh, the, the, first service, uh, the first servant comes into him and he says, hey, master, you gave me five bags of gold. Look, I've invested that. I've made five more bags of gold. And what does the master say? Well done. My good and faithful servant, well done. You are, you are trustworthy. The second servant comes in. He's got two bags of gold. And he's like, master, my dude, I had two bags of gold and I've gone out. I've made two more bags of gold. And what does the master say? Exact same thing. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And if we stop there, you would think, man, this is such a great story. You know, what an uplifting story. Uh, you're American. Two things we like in America is uh, hard work and pats on the back, right? And so we're like, this is a great story. They're, they're finding themselves. You know, they're discovering their potential inside. This is an absolutely great story. But then we get to the third servant. I feel like the third servant's name is like Gordo or like something like, I don't know. It's just some, something dopey like that. We get to the third servant and the third servant comes up and before the master even says anything, he just says, master, I know that you're a hard man. This is the first thing he says right off the bat. I know that you are a hard man. So here's my solution to that. I was afraid of you, master. So I went out and I buried the gold. 
right? I dug some hole somewhere and I put the gold in there and I haven't touched it since. So here you go. Here's your gold back. It's nice and safe. And what does the master say? This is where we get uncomfy. He says, you wicked and lazy servant. You wicked and lazy servant. And then just, a minute, just when you thought that was uncomfortable enough, then the master says, I'm going to cast out this worthless servant out into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is a metaphor that Jesus used a lot to talk about separation from God. So because of the, this servant, he dug a hole. Instead of putting his ostrich head in, he put in the gold. Now he's cast out from the presence of the master forever. Now, if you tend to be a more empathetic person, right? a more relational person. Maybe you're like an Enneagram 2, something wimpy like that. You know, if you, if you, if you tend to be that kind of way, chances are you, you, you heard this story, you read this story, and that part like really bothered you. You're like, what? What on earth? This is not the Jesus I know. This is not the Jesus loves the little children type of story that I know. Uh, you, you, think of, you think of the guy with the one bag of gold and you kind of empathize with him. You're like, well, maybe he had a tough childhood. You know, maybe he was picked on in school. You know, here he is. He's this kind of insecure guy. Maybe he's more artistic. And he comes in and he's in this high performance work environment. These guys are all knocking it out of the park. They're excelling. They're getting pats on the back by their boss. And this guy, he just can't live up to the standard. This is just isn't a good work environment for him. It's not, it's not working out. And so you're telling me, Jesus, that because this guy couldn't perform well enough for his master, that now he's cast out of the sight of his master forever. And the metaphor is supposed to be like, if I don't do good enough, that I just never get to see God ever again. Is, is that what you're trying to tell me? That doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem just, and it doesn't seem consistent with the message and in the nature of Jesus. And, and for many of us, for many of us, probably most of us, honestly, it probably aids an insecurity that we already have. I, I think many, many people that, that believe in, in some kind of God, whether it's a Christian God or not, we, we have this fear that if we don't perform well enough for God, we're gonna get the boot right? That all God really cares about is the, these types of prophets. He cares about like, you know, how well are you investing your time on earth? Are you being thoughtful? Are you being smart? And that's all he cares about. And I'm worried that one day I'm going to die and you, you know, they're going to, Scotty's going to beam me up into heaven and I'm going to stand before the pearly gates of God. And he's going to be, I'm sorry, man, you didn't do enough. You wicked, lazy servant kicking the boot and into hell you go. It, it's, it's a deep insecurity that this story could potentially be, um, moving forward. This reminds me, actually, um, when, when I was in high school, so I had lots of weird high school stories. This, this, isn't, this doesn't even scratch the surface, but I, I had this weird teacher, uh, this English teacher. English te- Is anybody going to be an English teacher? Okay. Okay. Well, I was going to be honest, but may, I don't know. I'm going to be an English teachers can be really weird. Like, really odd. And this was like one of those teachers, she was like living in like fiction land. You know, it's like she thought, she never watched movies. She just read these books. These books sucked. And we spent like months talking about how good the book was, right? So we weren't getting along super well anyways. But my one English teacher, she was like super into English. And uh, every month or so we'd have this book and she would give us a test on the book, right? Because she eventually, eventually the teachers learned about Sparknotes, they learned about, probably like five years later, but they learned about it. And so they started like figuring out loopholes. And so she realized she actually had to test us instead of asking us if we read it, yes or no. Um, and so she would give us these tests on the book, but the tests on these books were so detailed, so detailed. It was like, it was like, all right, Frodo walks into uh, the school bus. I don't know what book this is. Uh, what, what color was his friend's backpack? And you had to like guess that. It was like 50 questions like that. It was like, all right, this character uh, handed this other character a wad of cash. How much money to the cent did he give him? It's like the most detailed book. So I would read these books. I was a decent student. You know, I would read these books. Uh, and every time I come into class and she'd be like, all right, we're taking the test on the book. And I take the test, 50 questions, get it back the next day. F. Big fat F on that test. And so I thought, you know what? All right. Maybe I didn't read it hard enough. Maybe I didn't try my best. Maybe I didn't put my best foot forward. So this time uh, when we're reading Little Women, I'm really going to pay attention. And man, that is a tough book to pay attention to. And so the next time I like, I'm trying to pay attention, somebody was really offended by that. Um, I really tried to pay attention. I was like highlighting the details. I was like, yes, she is uh, four feet and five inches tall. Just in case that's a question. I come in the next day, do the test, big fat F. Third test, big fat F. Fourth test, try as hard as I possibly can, big fat F. Now my buddy Max sat behind me 
And about the fourth F, I looked back at him. I was like, Max, watch this. Here's what I'm going to do. This next test, I'm not going to read the book at all. I'm not going to buy the book. I'm not going to get the book. I'm not even going to get the book. Watch me do better on this test of a book I've never read than on the test that, of the book that I read in thorough detail. That's what I said to him. All right. Next book comes around. Never pick it up. Don't even pay attention in class. We get, we get the test. I just guess on every answer. C minus. C minus, your boy passed. It was my first passing grade on one of those book tests. And, and, and so he, he, here's, here's what it kind of gave me in my head. I realized this teacher is unpleasable and this test is rigged. This teacher is unpleasable. No matter how hard I try, no matter what I do, she is unpleasable. I'm not going to get ahead. And I think sometimes we think that God is the exact same way, that God is this unpleasable tyrant and life is this evil test that you're never gonna pass. And so your best bet is to give up because maybe if you give up and just do whatever you want and are just a generally nice person, chances are you're rolling the dice, but you might get a C minus instead of an F. But I would argue that that's not the point that Jesus is trying to make in this story. I would argue. Uh, many people interpret it that way. Many people want to pull that out of it. But I would argue that, in fact, he's probably trying to make the exact opposite point. Pay, pay real close attention here. I want you to pay close attention to this master character. All right, the character of the master. We're going to start in verse 20, if you got your Bible. And the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. Look, I've, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Now I will put you in charge of many things. Come share in your master's happiness. Now, this response uh, might be expected because my dude right here, he just made his master bank, right? If a, if a bag of gold is worth 20 years wages, he just made 100 years wages, right? So then I would be happy, right? You could, you, could, you could be Adolf Hitler and you'd be excited that you got five bags of gold, right? So, so th that's fine. Let's just give him that one. But look what happens on the next one. Look what happens with the second servant. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrust me with two bags of gold. I've gained two more. And his master replied, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Listen, the exact same response, exact same response. Even though the second servant made less than half of the first servant. He is equally as happy with the second servant as he is with the first one. And why is he happy? Look very closely and you'll see it, it pops up four times just on here. He's not happy about the money. He never even mentions the money. He's happy that they are faithful, faithful. He's happy that they are faithful. Now think about it. What does that tell us about the master in this story? What does that tell us? It tells us something very important. It was never about the money to the master. It was never about the money. The master actually doesn't seem to really care about the money or the profit. And, that, and in fact, the story seems to imply that, that five bags of gold is nothing to the master because he's handing them out willy-nilly. Instead, this master has always cared first and foremost about the servants, the development, the faithfulness, the hearts of his servants. And he seems to be overjoyed ecstatic that they have succeeded, that they are good and faithful. Here's the first point. If you, if you take notes, great. If you don't take notes, I never take notes. So don't feel bad for not taking notes. But if you take notes, this is for you. Here's the first point. God is not interested in your profit. He's interested in your faithfulness. Number one, God is not interested in your profit, your money, what you're bringing to the table, but he is interested in your faithfulness. All right. I got a question for you. I got a question for you. Everybody give me a thumbs up or thumbs down on this question, right? Uh, do you, does God have the same expectations for everyone? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Thumbs up or thumbs down? We're about 50-50 on this one. Right? Does he have the same expectations for everyone? We're about 50-50. Some say yes, some say no. Let's look at the story real quick. If you, if you got the story, um, how does the master decide how many bags of gold to give each of his servants? How does he decide? It says in verse 15. Somebody find it? According to his ability, it says that in verse 15, he gives each uh, servant a bag of gold according to his ability, his capacity, what he has for him. That implies two things about the, uh, it implies two things. Number one, uh, that different servants, different people have different abilities. 
They have different capacities. They have different results. They are made differently. And the second thing, the master knows this about his servants. He knows his servants intimately. He knows their upbringings. He knows their challenges. He knows their psychology, how they think about things. He knows their situation. So does the master have the same expectations for all of his servants, yes or no? No. No. His expectations for his servants are, and when it comes to profit, are relative to their ability. They are relative to what they can handle. A few years ago, um, I was talking to a friend of mine, um, and she was, she was very discouraged about her parents. She was very discouraged about her parents, and here's why. Um, so uh, this friend of mine and her brother were very passionate followers of Jesus, right? They, they were like, they were like all-stars, you know? They're, they're serving in the church. They're sharing Jesus with all the people that they ever meet. They're, they're living for the Lord. They're, they're like involved in everything they could be. They have given their lives to Jesus. They are absolute all-stars. And I was talking to her, we were actually in, in here, which is funny, um, and she was discouraged because uh, her parents had originally led her and her brother to Christ. They were the first people in their entire family to discover who Jesus was and discover the gospel, but her parents had gotten on way behind her and her brother, right? So, so her parents were not involved in the church. They, they felt very insecure about being a part of the church. Her parents were not sharing their faith with other people. They felt very insecure about sharing their faith with other people. Her parents were, were not amazing at getting over their morality. They had quite a bit of baggage that they were still struggling to get over. And I remember we were, we were here, we were in here and we were talking to, I, I don't know if some of you guys have ever met Pastor Ryan. He used to be a pastor here and he, he went and started another church. We were talking to Pastor Ryan about this and Pastor Ryan showed, showed us both something that I thought was, was genius. And so I, I'm going to show it to you right now. Here's, here's a whiteboard and I'm going to get the whiteboard and I'm taking it on the stage. All right. Um, it took me way too long to draw this, okay? Here we, you can't really see, but here we have a, a graph. This is negative 10, right? This is five. This is one. This is the cross or zero, whichever one you prefer. Uh, then, we're, then we're all the way to positive 10. Pastor Ryan said something really interesting. He said, sometimes on the outside, as, as people that are trying to follow Jesus, all we see is, is people's progress. And all we see is like what they are doing on the outside. So, so let's pretend negative one over here. Let's pretend you're not following Jesus at all. You don't even know Jesus. Let's pretend that this cross is when you come to know Jesus. And let's pretend all of this is the fruit, like how obvious you're being with, with your Christianity. And, and Pastor Ryan said this. He said, he said, you and your brother, he's like, you guys started here. You start at negative one. You, you were raised in an incredible family that loved you. You were raised, uh, you, your number one con- concern had nothing to do with food. It had nothing to do with shelter. It had nothing to do with poverty, right? You, you were raised in this loving household with people that really loved Jesus. You started at negative one. Jesus revealed himself to you. And now you're like over here, you're functioning and you're, and you're growing and you're growing and you're moving and you're moving. And we, we would look and we'd say, man, level five, like that's amazing. He was like, now, tell me about your parents. And she started talking about the parents. She started talking about how both of them uh, did not have a father growing up. She started talking about how both of them grew up in, in very uh, impoverished areas. That There was uh, lots of drugs, lots of alcohol, lots of substance addiction. She was telling us how, how both of them had different forms of abuse in their life. And Pastor Ryan said something really interesting. He's like, all right, here's what you got to know. Your parents started at negative 10. Your parents started at negative 10. They had as many disadvantages as you could possibly think of. They grew up, they grew up poor, so they had to think, not that there's anything wrong with growing up poor, but that means your needs are different. They had to think about uh, getting ahead, getting to the next day. They grew up without fathers. That is one of the hardest things to grow up without. They grew up with insecurities. They grew up with abuse. They grew up with addictions. And the work of God has transformed them so deeply that they made it all the way from negative 10 over to like, 0.05, right? Jesus Christ has infiltrated their lives. And so now they have accepted God. They know God. They know what he's like. He started saying, he's like, listen, it's a miracle that your parents aren't doing drugs. It's a miracle that your parents aren't deep in sin. It's just a miracle in of themselves that they even know Jesus to begin with. Guys, here's the point. Life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. I don't know if you know that. I, I look at my own life sometimes. I'm like, man, I, I don't, you know, I, I, sometimes I feel like I've been given 10 bags of gold. I feel like in, in some ways my life's been handed to me. And it doesn't mean I haven't responded to those things and that's, that's not saying I'm, I'm entitled. But, but, but I, listen, I grew up with two parents that love me. My parents are still together. 
I grew up, I never worried about money growing up. You know, it, there's been a lot of things. I grew up in this church. This church has never split. This church has never really had major corruption in it, right? I, I feel like in many ways, God has just set me up. And, and you're probably sitting there and thinking, God, some of us, God has not set us up in those ways. We have not started there. Some of us have. Some of us, listen, listen. The equity in your car is worth more than m- most people in the world's homes, right? We've been given a lot of things, right? Life isn't fair. We're all starting in different places. Some of us have deep emotional wounds, some of us have deep abuse. You know, many of us are, are survivors of sexual abuse, or verbal abuse. Some of us know what it's like to be abandoned. You know, we, we didn't grow up with, with parents that, that loved us. We, we grew up with, with parents that we were, were concerned about. We were concerned what they were going to do to us. We were concerned what they were going to do with our family. Some, some of us didn't hear about Jesus, didn't hear about the Bible for some of us until tonight. For others of us, it was way late. We didn't grow up with that. Some of us are, you know, we're facing addictions. Our bodies are addicted to things. There's things in our system that, that, that it would take a miracle to overcome. Every, I need you to understand, everybody, God is not asking, what kind of results are you producing for me? He's not asking that question. How many people are you leading to Christ? How many times out of 52 do you show up to church? How moral are you? How are you getting rid of all of your sin? How much do you serve in the church? How much do you do this? How much do you do that? God is not asking what are your prophets. He's not asking what kind of results are you producing for me. What God is asking you is this. When I place something into your hands, what do you do with it? When I place something... Whether it's a big thing or a small thing, whether it's five bags of gold or just a little silver coin. When I place something in your hands, are you faithful? Can you be trusted with little? What is the quality of your heart? What do you do with it? Here's the second point. What does it mean to be faithful? Faithfulness is being 100% intentional with 100% of what you're given. Faithfulness is being 100% intentional with 100% of, of what you're given. The question isn't how much am I given? The question is, what do I do with the things that I am given? I, I know that there are many of us in this room, and I, I want to praise you and, and encourage you. I, I know there are many of us in the room that the rest of us might not think super highly of. Right On the outside, it doesn't look like there, there's an orchard growing. On the outside, you don't look like, like some kind of like Superman for Jesus. You know, on the outside, that, that's not what you look like. But on the inside, God is transforming you. Transforming you from death to life. Every time God calls you to do something, you respond to it. Every, every, time, every time that God leads you in a different direction, you cling to it. When God says, find my identity in me, you say, absolutely, yes, Lord, take me to the next place. Every single time. And you might have started at severe disadvantages, and you might have started in, in terrible situations, but every time God shows up, you respond to him, and he rejoices. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I can see that you love me. I can see that you want me. I can see that you will give everything to me. Even when you don't have the capacity to give anything, you try and give anyways. Well done, my good and faithful servant. But the inverse is true at the same time. There's some of us in this room who are like the all-stars. You know, you're like, you're, I don't know. I don't know. You're like Batman for Jesus. I don't know if Batman's cooler than Superman. My mom is very offended that Batman has no superpower. She was telling me about that the other day. But you're, you're, like, you're like the all-star. You're like the also. You got the morality. You got that down, man. You got that down. Uh, serving. You know. You show up. You do like parking. You do the chairs. You you know. You do everything. You got that down, man. You tell everyone you possibly can about Jesus. You know. You're at the mall and people are like in the line at Subway and you chase them down and they're just trying to get their sandwich and you like tackle them. You know. You're like you're doing everything. You are absolutely killing it in in people's minds. But listen. You're not, your heart isn't there. Your heart isn't there. You're trying to earn God's affection. You're trying to climb your way to God. You're trying to find, quite honestly, for many of us, you're trying to figure out what's the bare minimum that I have to do to be accepted by God. And you're only, you're only giving half of your heart. You're only giving a quarter of your heart. You're only giving a tenth of your heart because you won't surrender that relationship. You won't give God your career. 
You won't give up your comfort. But on the outside, you look like an all-star. And it's so easy for us to judge people who look like they're way back, you know, who look like they're, you know, they're only at level one. I'm making these levels up, obviously, but at level one or level two, meanwhile, I'm at level 10. But that's not the question God is asking. He's not asking, how many people are you bringing to heaven with you? He's not asking, what was your community service hours? That's not what he's asking. He's asking, when I put something in your hand, what do you do with it? Because what you do with it shows how you view me. It shows your affection towards me. It shows that you trust me as your master. Are you faithful with what you've already received? And that's why Jesus says to the faithful ones, he says to the first two servants, he says, you've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. You know, like seriously, some of us are are just craving for like some kind of platform or some kind of set. So everybody listens to us. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to be a leader, you have to be a servant. You know, if you want to have a deeper knowledge of God, you have to share the parts of God that you already know with other people, right? If you want to be the guy who changed the world, you got to learn to forgive your ex-girlfriend, your ex-boyfriend, because that is how Jesus loves you. If you're faithful with a few things, with the little things, I will put you in charge of many things, which brings us to the third servant, our problematic servant, Gordo, so to speak. Uh, look, at, look at verse 24. I want to reread this. Uh, then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I know that you are a hard man. All right, cling to that phrase. I know that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I was afraid of you and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Here is one bag of gold. The, the servant says this is master is a hard man. And he says that this is a, a, presumably some kind of cruel man that he should be afraid of. Like he's going to be afraid of what the master is going to do for him if he doesn't churn a prophet. And so he thought like the safest move, the best move, I'm going to bury this, you know, this ditch and I'm going to bury my bag of gold. But, but let me ask you a question. Let, let me ask you a critical question. Does anything in the story up to this point imply that this master is a cruel master? Does anything up to this point in the story is there anything that implies that this master would have been a cruel master, a harsh master? No. Every interaction with the master up to this point has been celebratory. The master has been overjoyed. He's been glad. He's been encouraging. He's been saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. So now look at the master's response. His master said, you wicked and lazy servant. Now, when I used to read this story, I, when I used to read the story, really every time except when I was preparing this week, it was the first time it ever hit me, I always read it as if the master like blew a gasket at him. You know, he's like, you mother effing idiot, you don't do it. You know, he's just like, he gets so mad and, and he just starts hurling insults at this guy. You wicked, lazy servant. What are you, some kind of moron? What is wrong with you? You come back with one bag of gold, bro, I want two bags of gold. You know, he's like, like as if he just lit him up and like started hurling all these insults at him. But listen, that, that's not what's happening here at all. Actually, this is a very incorrect reading of the story. And I didn't realize it until recently. The master didn't lose his cool. He didn't lose his cool. In fact, he chose his words very carefully. What did the master call the other two servants? What do you call them? Good and faithful. What is wicked and lazy? It's the opposite. Wicked and lazy is just the inverse of being good and faithful. Being wicked just means to be fundamentally bad. And in the Bible, it really means to be self-absorbed, to only care about your own interests, to only care about what uh, benefits you. Being lazy means to be unreliable and to be unfaithful, right? If you've ever met a lazy person, which I have met quite a few, the only way to get a lazy person to do anything is if what you're asking them to do benefits them in the short run. That's the only way a lazy person is going to do anything. If I, do I get Taco Bell out of it? Yeah. All right, I'll do it. You know, like that's the only way, which implies this. Uh, lazy people tend to be self-absorbed. They only do what makes them feel good in the short run. The master isn't insulting his servant. The master is describing his servant. He's not insulting him. He is describing him. He's saying, bro, you're self-absorbed. Bro, you're not thinking clearly. You are a wicked, self-absorbed, lazy, and unfaithful 
servant. And then the master calls his bluff. Here's what he says. He says, so you know that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put the money on deposit with the bankers. So that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, if you really thought I was cruel and you really thought all I cared about was profit, if that was a true statement, if that's what you actually thought, then you would have put my money into an investment account. Obviously, if you really thought I was cruel and all I cared about was profit, you would put it into an investment account or a bank because at least I would get it back with some kind of interest. At least I would get a little bit of profit. So you're not being honest with me. You're not telling me why you buried the gold. You're lying to me. You're not being truthful. The servant didn't bury the money because he was afraid of losing the money. The servant buried the money because he was afraid of having it. He didn't bury it because he was afraid of losing the money. The reason he buried it was because he was afraid of having it. Here's what Jesus was saying to this audience 2,000 years ago, and he's saying to us in this room right now today. He's saying the exact same thing. Jesus came to earth, uh, you know, way back in the day, and very offensively, uh, I might add, he came and he he said to me, and he said to you, and he said to every other person on the face of the planet, he said, spiritually, we are all stuck in a poverty cycle. That's basically what he said. He said, spiritually, we are all stuck in a poverty cycle. And here's what he meant. He said, you are broken. You are broken. I am broken. You are hurt. You've been abandoned. You've been abused. You've been hurt. You have felt deep pain and you felt the results of sin. You are without security of knowing who you are. You don't know who you are. You don't know where you belong. And everywhere you go, you're grasping for some kind of an identity. So you find that you're good at something and you cling to that. Maybe I can be like that. You find a girl that loves you or a guy that loves you. I cling to that. This is who, what defines me now. This is who I am. You find a job that you're good at. You cling to that. This is who I am. This is what maybe my identity can be in some of these things because you're trying to earn your place. You're trying to earn your keep. You're trying to justify some kind of existence, says Jesus. And because of that, not in an offensive way, just in a matter of fact way, you become self-absorbed. He says this to me. He says this to you. He says this to everyone who's existed. You've become self-absorbed. 90% of your thoughts are about yourself. All you think about is how to please and how to satisfy yourself. And because you're hurt, because you're broken, you become addicted. You're addicted to affirmation. You're addicted to feeling some kind of love and some kind of security. You're addicted to pot. You're addicted to pornography. You're addicted to your job. You're addicted to something that in your mind makes life tolerable, makes life worth feeling something. You've lost who you are. You are in deep poverty. And if you've ever met someone who's in a poverty cycle, if you've ever met someone um, who, who is homeless or who, who is starving or who is, who is desperate, what happens in the poverty cycle is very interesting. This doesn't necessarily reflect their character. It's just kind of what happens. Because you're in survival mode, Right? Because you're only worried about like the next day. I'm just trying, I'm just trying to get some food. I'm just trying to get some shelter. All of your thoughts become about me right now and today. Right? If you've ever met somebody in the poverty side, it's just about me right now and today. It's about surviving. You're not thinking about where you're going to college. You're not thinking about who you're trying to be and what, what goals you're trying to set in your life. You're not thinking long term. You're just thinking, how am I going to find food? Where am I going to sleep? If I stand here on this street corner, can I get 50 bucks to stay in the hotel? And Jesus says, listen, spiritually speaking, that's all of us. You're just thinking about you. You're just thinking about how you can feel something again. Does that person love me? Am I accepted? Am I good at anything? Am I worth existing? Am I worth the breath? And we can't break out of the cycle of survival, of meeting our own needs of myself today. And, and here, here, here's what happened with Jesus. It, it broke Jesus' heart so badly that he broke out of heaven to break us out of the poverty cycle. It, it, it broke Jesus' heart so deeply. He cared about you. He cared about me. If you're the only person in the world, this would have happened. He cared about you so deeply that he broke out of heaven to break you out of the poverty cycle. And at infinite cost to himself, Jesus died on the cross that we've all heard about to offer you, metaphorically, a bag of gold. 
To, to, to say, hey, listen, you're looking for an identity. You're, try, you're trying to figure out who you are. I'll, I'll give you an identity. Listen, you are a child of God. You are fearfully and specifically and wonderfully and intentionally made by your father who adores you and just thinks you're precious. Uh, look, you're looking for a home. Come, come with me. Come to my father's home. He'd love to have you. You can stay there forever. You'll never search for a home ever again. You're looking for a purpose. I'll give you a purpose. I'll tell you your purpose. You were created to know me. You were created to know the Father. You were created to be in the family of God and to embrace his purposes. You want to know who loves you? You want the security of knowing who loves you? I'll tell you who loves you. I love you. My Father loves you. There's not a person or an entity in the universe that loves you more than we do. And guess what? There's not a single thing that you could ever do, ever, no matter how bad, even if you killed somebody, there's not a single thing that could make an ounce of that love go away. I love you so deeply. I want to. You're my child. You're my kid. And I'm here to break you out. Jesus gave you a bag of gold so that you wouldn't be enslaved to the cycle of poverty, to the cycle of sin, to the cycle of yourself, He handed it to you. And each of us, he gave us exactly what we need to be free and to live for him instead. Jesus gave you the gold so you could live for him instead of yourself. And listen, if you take it and you blow it and you mess up and you fall on your face, you have a master and you have a God that will hand you another one all over again. And you take it and you mess up and you get off track and you lose all the money. You have a master, you have a God who is ever gracious and ever compassionate and will give you chance after chance after chance because he doesn't care about your profits. He just cares that you're grabbing what he's giving you and taking advantage of it. He just cares that your heart seeks after him, that you long for him. Jesus gave you the gold so you could live for him instead of yourself, which brings us to the final question. Why does the servant bury the gold? If this is such good news, and this, says, this can break him out of being a servant and turn him into a child, if this can break him out of being at negative 10 and bring him to the fullest person that he could ever be, if it's life and life to the full, why does the servant bury the gold? And be very straightforward, Jesus is giving a very hard teaching. The reason the servant buries the gold is because he wants to live for himself. The reason the servant buries the gold is because he wants to stay in the cycle. The reason the servant buries the gold is because he only wants to care about his needs each and every day. Because the servant knows that if he has a bag of gold, his excuses for being selfish are gone. The servant knows that if he accepts what God has given him, there is no reason why he should be living day to day, why he should be out on the street doing who knows what. He knows that he is holding a bag of gold, but he wants to live for himself, so he treats it like the master and as if the gold never existed. He buries it so he can do whatever he wants. Listen, I'm going to be very straightforward and very honest with you because I believe that Jesus is being very straightforward and very honest. So hear what I'm saying and hear it um, compassionately. Some of us have legitimate doubts about God. Many of us, we have legitimate doubts about God. Um, there, there are many things, whether God is real, whether God is good, whether God is trustworthy. And I need you to know, listen, everybody, God is not disappointed in your doubts. Everybody understand this. God is not mad at you for having questions. God is not mad at you for, for not blindly accepting things. You shouldn't blindly accept anything. God thoroughly expects and will always be patient and will always be gentle. And you trying to figure things out and, and trying to piece the pieces together and trying to find answers to your questions, okay? So, and, and to be honest, collective is too. That, I, I never want anyone to blindly accept anything. I want you to question everything and, and really know why you believe. So, so there's nothing wrong with having questions. There's nothing wrong with having doubts. And God, God will always be patient. So I, I'm not, if that's you, I'm not talking to you right now. But there are some of us who want to believe that God is cruel. You might say you don't, but there are some of us who want to believe that God is cruel, that he is corrupt, 
or maybe that he doesn't exist. There are some of us who need to believe that God is a cruel master, that God is angry at us, or perhaps that we don't have any master at all. Because listen, as long as God is cruel and corrupt or non-existent, you are not accountable. As long as the master never existed and he never handed you a bag of gold, you are not accountable. So now you can live for whatever you want. Why did the third servant bury the gold? So he never had to be accountable. So he didn't have to think, man, I've been given this gift. How can I respond? How can I be faithful with what I'm given? He buried the bag of gold so he could do whatever he wanted. And many of us want to treat God like I treated my English teacher, a a tyrant, cruel, corrupt, completely unwinnable. In the best case scenario in our depraved minds is to just ignore him altogether because somehow life is going to work out better that way. And that's what the third servant is representing. People who, who take and who know about God deep down, who know the truth that he's good, that he is kind, and they bury it. Who take the gifts that God has given you, the abilities, the opportunities, and they bury them so that you can live however you want. And Jesus, I believe what Jesus is doing in this story is the most loving thing that he could possibly do, quite honestly. He's calling your bluff. It's the most loving thing that you could possibly do. He's calling your bluff. He's saying, listen, if you have real intellectual problems about God, that's great. But listen, your problem is not your intellectual problems with God. It has nothing to do with evolution. It has nothing to do with philosophy. It has nothing to do with the Old Testament. Your problem, being gentle, is you're self-absorbed. Your problems with God isn't that you're insecure and that you're going to go up and you're just going to screw it up and God's going to be so mad at you. That's not your problem with God. Your issue is that you're lazy. You don't want to do anything that doesn't benefit you. The issue isn't that God is corrupt. The issue is that you don't want God to exist. And Jesus, as gently and as kindly as he possibly could be, is saying, listen, you can bury the gold, but if you bury the gold, you bury me, and I promise you I'm the only one that can break you out. I'm the only one that can fulfill those needs. I'm the only one who can give you security, life to the full, and purpose. I'm the only one who can, so you can bury it. I'm not going to control you, but just know you're breaking my heart, and I'm the only one that can set you free. Guys, let's be honest with ourselves. Are you burying the gold? Do you deep down know exactly who God is? Have you, have you experienced his kindness? You've experienced goodness. You've experienced blessing. I mean, we live in America, crying out loud. But you suppress it. So you can do whatever you want. Are you burying the gold? You guys, be honest. Are you valuing profit over faithfulness? Is it more important to you to look good? Is it more important to you to climb the ladder Or are you truly like Jesus who is faithful and who is a servant with everything that he is given? Let's be honest. Are you insecure about whether or not you've made enough cash to earn God's love? Are you insecure of whether or not you've made enough of a profit, you've made a deep enough investment to earn a place in the family of God and in the kingdom of God? Because everybody listen to me. I I need you to understand. This is the heart of everything about Christianity. This is the heart of everything about Jesus Christ. You are not accepted by God because you tell people about him. You are not accepted by God because you believe the tenets of the faith. You, you are not accepted by God because you serve in the church. You're not accepted by God because you get over your sin. You're not accepted by God because of the good things you do. And listen to me, if you stop doing every single one of those things, not a drop of God's love would go away. You're not earning your way to God. You're not getting closer and getting farther by doing better or by doing worse. Listen to me. When you stand before God, He's not going to ask for your profit margins. He's not going to ask for a pamphlet of your morality. He's not going to quiz you on, on the Bible. When you stand before God, you're standing there because you're standing on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. 
Listen, if you, if you are accepted by God, it, you're accepted by God because what Jesus Christ has done, that Jesus Christ has get, come to get a hold of you, to come to rescue you, to come and take you to a better place, to replace your life record with his life record instead. If you're accepted by God, you're accepted because what Jesus Christ has done. And listen, it, it, you are loved by God, not because of the good or bad you're done. You're loved by God because you're his kid. You just are. You're not earning it. You're not losing it. You're loved by God because you are his kid. And the only reason that anyone can enter the kingdom of heaven is because Jesus Christ died to get you in. Investing the goal, that's just a response. That's just out of thankfulness and out of gratitude. That's not a requirement. The only reason you enter the kingdom of heaven is because of what Jesus Christ has done. Not your work, not your investment, not your morality, his work, his character, his love, his affection. But do you want it? Will you take it? Will you stop trying and start surrendering? Will you unbury what you've chosen to bury and live in the freedom of the gifts that God has given you? Would you pray with me? Jesus, Lord, would you let us understand? God, would you open our eyes? God, we're not climbing our ladder. <laughs> You're not accepting us based on how far we've gone and how much progress we've made. Jesus, would you let us understand your grace that all of our sins, if we are in you, if we've chosen to trust you, all of our sins are washed away. All of our goodness means nothing, but all of our badness means nothing. Jesus, would you let us understand that it's only because of your death, because of your resurrection, that we have a place in the family, but you want us in the family, God. God, would you get us out of denial? Would you let us be honest? Jesus, with all the compassion you have, would you show that compassion to us? And if it has to be stern, let it be stern. And God, I, I pray for those of us in this room that feel like they're not good enough, that they're not doing good enough. Would you set them free from that? Jesus, it's not about them being good enough. It's about you being good enough. And you certainly are. And God, I pray that you would give us the freedom to respond. Jesus, because your salvation is never earned ever, but it has to be responded to. Would you let us give our lives 100% of our hearts out of thankfulness, out of gratitude, out of understanding to you? Would you let some of us do that tonight for the first time, Lord? Jesus, let's worship you, let's see you, let's understand you. It's only because of you we're standing on your shoulders. In your name, amen. Thanks again for tuning in to The Collective Podcast. If you have any questions about anything that we talked about today, or you just want to reach out for help or advice or someone to talk to, we always want to make ourselves available to you. One of the best ways is to send us a direct message to GCM underscore collective, or to send us an email to collective at graceohio.org. As always, you are invited to Collective every Thursday night at 7 o'clock at Grace Church Bath Campus. Hope to see you soon. Bye.